Oorah, bingers! My guest today is a U.S. military veteran. She has created an incredibly interesting podcast that focuses on cases where the offender and or victims are members of the U.S. military. She hosts the podcast Military Murder. Please welcome Margo. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. So, Margo, who I've just, I've just, I knew the whole time that your name was pronounced Margo <laughs> and not Margot. <laughs> well, I was listening to your episode with Maggie and I was just laughing the whole time because you just kept giving her other names and I was like, just cracking up. I was like, I wonder what he's going to call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Erica was no help. I asked, well, actually she was help, but she made me feel stupid because I was like, Hey, uh, real quick before she gets on, is it Margo or Margot? Because I've listened to a couple of your episodes, but you didn't say your name. I was like, damn it. I don't know which one it is. And then she's like, uh, duh, it's Margo. And so <laughs> I didn't realize that's how Margo was spelled. I mm-hmm. thought there was maybe some special Latina pronunciation of, of, <laughs> of Margot, which you uh, gave me the proper Spanish pronunciation. Can you, it sounded really nice when you said it. Can you say how it's actually uh, pronounced in Spanish? Yeah, it's Margo. Mar- Mar- you sounded just like the um, the Babel instructors when you said that. <laughs> you perfectly rolled the R. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. As I was telling you before, I just put the put the baby. I just threw the baby into the crib. I was like, "Stop! Don't cry. Just go to sleep." And that, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hopefully, from not too far away, you threw her in there. No, I, did, I didn't he? actually throw her in. It's a she, and she's only three <laughs> months old. So, uh, but she's 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 an excellent. She's like my best child so far. But don't tell the other ones. How many do you have? I have three girls. All girls. You're, oh my God. What's your oldest one? She's only five. So I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a three-month-old. You know, in about 10 years, your life is going to be an absolute living hell, right? <laughs> I, I know kidding. Told my husband the other day, I was like, do you realize we're going to have an 18-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 13-year-old at some point? Or like a oh. 19, 17, and 14. I was like, that is insane. We should have really thought this through. <laughs> oh, and all girls. Now, and for the most part, I think so I have four kids. I have three boys and one girl who's who's 15 right now. Oh, wow. And for the for the most part, the the girl is is much easier to deal with than the boys. But but she is sass. She is now very sassy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I can only imagine if there was other girls in the house for her to be competing with <laughs> right about now. Oh, yes. My five-year-old, um, they're all really sassy, the five-year-old and the three-year-old. The three-year-old more than the five-year-old, but the five-year-old always just wants to wear her Elsa dress. And it seriously, like, you know, just tickles me sometimes. And I'm like, no, you can't wear that to church today. You can't wear that here. And then today, as I was walking through Target, yes, typical mom, spent my morning at Target. Um, <laughs> I, it hit me that one day she's not going to want to wear these dresses anymore. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to wear her. I'm going to let her wear Elsa, her Elsa dress every day if she wants to until she doesn't want to wear it anymore so i took my son to target one time wearing uh wearing a buzz lightyear costume co- complete with wings and everything he just 
didn't want to take it off. I'm like, I don't need it. Back then, I was a fireman. I worked long hours, 24-hour shifts. And I was exhausted. I'm like, I don't even care. He's just walking through Walmart with his Buzz Lightyear wings sticking out. Yeah. My parenting style more recently, and my husband hates it, because when we first got married, I'm the, I guess, I'm, guess you can say I'm the more serious one, or he thought I was. He's like, you're going to be the bad cop, and I'm going to be the good cop when we have kids. And it turns out that these little girls just melt my heart. And so uh-huh. it's really hard for me to say no. It's really hard for me to say, you know, and my husband gets so mad. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to be the backup from now on. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you should do that. And um, my, my parenting style more recently is just, you know, as long as it's n- not illegal or absolutely terrible for them, just, just let them do it. Just whatever. I don't even care. Like, I've just given up. But one more kid and you won't even care if it's legal anymore. The more, <laughs> <laughs> the more kids you have. Yeah, when I had my when my first son was born, it was just like everything. Like I taught him, like the if you were to meet my four year old Quentin and he'd walk up to you, he would have walked right up to you and shook your hand, say hello, my name is Quentin. It's nice to meet you, and shake your hand, and he would call you yes sir and yes ma'am. My youngest Parker, it's like I mean, (laughs) I used to make eggs every morning for eggs and bacon for Quentin before he went to school. Parker gets a pop tart. Like I'm done. (laughs) Like I like I if I get three out of four. That, that really make it. I feel like I'm winning. Bob, you're talking to my soul right now because that's just that's just how it is. And I, and I told my husband, like, you just got to let go. You just got to let go. And so that's my mom had five kids. So, you know, when you have your own kids, you realize how amazing your parents are, that they didn't uh-huh. strangle you. You're just like, you guys are incredible that, you, that, that we're all alive and we're all kicking and we're all striving in our adult life, right? Yeah. Wait till they start driving. And then oh, you God. think back of the arguments you had with your parents when you were driving. <laughs> you know, I, I was like looking back at they were like, no, you can only drive this far. And, you know, and they couldn't track us or anything. And, and I'm just like, I know what I'm doing. You're, you know, you're just you're fighting with them all the time because you want all these freedoms. And then when my kids started, dri- two of them are driving now. And I'm like, you're on Life 360. I'm everywhere you go. I'm watching. Ex- I'll, be, I'll call my son after he stops somewhere and be like, uh, you were doing 60 and a 55. <gasps> You better knock you that shit track off. You can track that? Oh, yeah. You can track <gasps> it. You can, it's, it'll show you if they break to I should be. They should be a sponsor. Life 360 <laughs> slash binge. Uh, but yeah, like it, it shows you where they're at, how fast they're moving. It'll show you if they break too hard, accelerate too fast. it give you alerts if they're breaking the speed limit. They hate it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's incredible. I think, you know, compared to how what it was like when we were young, I, I can't even imagine. So. No, oh yeah, and it, and and, I, and I'm looking back to those arguments with my parents, like, like I, I know what I'm doing. I'll be fine. You're being crazy, and I'm so much more of a control freak than they ever were because they couldn't mm-hmm. back then. I couldn't imagine right now one of my teenagers saying I'm going out with my friends, and me saying you'll be home, be back at eleven, and mm-hmm. not knowing where they are. Mm-mm. But that was me every day. Yeah, you know, it was just like I right. go out. They didn't care as long as I was back by eleven o'clock. Right. I was. I mean, I was. I've been working since I was like 14 years old. I was working at like an ice cream shop, and I'm like thinking about my kids, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna pick them up. I'm gonna drop them off. I already think about all these things, you know, because of you know what we do, right? We're true crime podcasters, so we're like always delving into these cases too. So I'm just like my kids. You know, I told my husband when they go outside to play, I'm like, you gotta go. You gotta be out there like right this second. And he's like, just it's just two seconds. I'll be there. And I'm like, no, you need to be there like the minute their feet step outside. And he thinks I'm absolutely <laughs> crazy, which which I'm fine with that. I'm like, okay. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you, you have the girls. So I have um, my one girl who is, is 15. She's a, she's a sophomore. 
And you're t- talking about the dresses. I remember when they were young, Bella was always kind of a tomboy and she's, she's our big athlete and all these things. And my wife used to get so upset because she couldn't get her to wear the cute little dresses she wants to wear. And now she's, she's got homecoming coming up in a few weeks. So they oh. went dress shopping yesterday and she, and she came, my wife came home with uh, Bella left with her boyfriend somewhere, but she came home with a bag that for those listening is like a six inch by six inch little bag. Like something a like a sa- Yeah. Something like a sandwich would fit in like a, like a, like a shopping bag. Okay. And it's, what is that? And she said, it's Bella's dress. <gasps> it's in the, it's in the tiny little bag. So it's not so much fun when they, and then she comes out and is like, look, what do you think? How, how do I look? It's like, you look beautiful and like you're 21 and I don't like, I don't like it at all. Right. Right. I don't even get me started. I have a 21 year old sister and I'm like, are those even real pants? Are those pants or those are your underwear? <laughs> it's pretty <Right>. terrible. <laughs> She's like, you're like my mom. I'm like, I know, but you're only 21. What are you, you're not wearing that out. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. The, the, you have a 21 year old sister. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but you seem <laughs> you seem close to that. But then I'm reading in my. Well, I guess it. No, okay. I, I I'm in my I'm late re- 30s. My mom just we're we sandwich the boys, so I'm the oldest, uh-huh. um, and she's the youngest. And so my mom ha- started having kids at a really young age. Well, and you look very young, but I had in my mind from the notes that Erica gave me that she put recent veteran. And mm-hmm. I read that as retired veteran. So I figured that you got to be at least 38, 40 years old. So you're not retired. You didn't I'm not do retired. a full 20. I, I am. I'm, I'm, you're, you're close in age, but I'm not retired because I went, uh, I did ROTC in college and then I went, I went to law school. And so I got on active duty a little bit later than, you know, a regular, maybe someone who enlisted right out of high school or someone who joined right out of college because I did an extra three years. Right. So how does that, so I actually did ROTC. I didn't finish the program. There was a clerical error that got me messed up, but I did ROTC at the University of Colorado for the Air Force and in my awesome. second year. Yeah. And I loved it and had the same plan. But for me, it was going to be, you know, I had a scholarship. I'd go for four years and then I had to serve four years afterward. Mm-hmm. But I know it, a lot of times if you're, if you go to law school, if you go to grad school afterwards, was your commitment that you had to give to, was it the Army you were in or the Air, Air Force. Force? Air Force, yeah. So was your commitment to the Air Force longer because of the grad school that they were paying for too? No. So something they don't tell you about, they're like sneaky, right? When you're in ROTC, they don't really tell you a whole lot. They just kind of like figure it out, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, so I, I did criminal justice at undergrad and I was going to be an intel officer, but I, I really, I've always kind of wanted to go to law school. And mm-hmm. so right around my junior year, I was looking into how I could do that. And I was thinking um, FLEP, Funded Legal Education Program. But in order to mm-hmm. do that, you have to come on active duty and then you have to be an officer of whatever, something else first, and then right. they'll pay for you to go to law school. I did a different program called Educational Delay, where they paid for my undergrad and then I applied for for Ed Delay and they basically gave me a special permission. I commissioned, they gave me special permission to go to law school, but basically they were like, girl, you got this. You got to pay for this out of your pocket. You have to pay for it okay. on your own. And then you owe us your four years from undergrad. And so that's what I did. So I went to law school on my own, like out of my own pocket. Um, I had some scholarship help as well. And then I joined and then I only had a four-year commitment. And I was the whole like, I'm going to do corporate law. I'm going to do four years in the Air Force and get out. And then you know how it is. It, it just, I, I met my husband and I was like, you know, I can mm-hmm. probably make this a career. And then 11 years later, I had my third kid and I was like, this, this is tough. I, <laughs> I don't think I can do this. 
on active duty because my husband's also active duty 15 years. So I got is he out still active duty? He is. Yes. So uh, where are you guys based out of? We're in Louisiana right now. Okay. I guess I should explain just for any, if anybody's interested in the military and the states, the way it works is uh, to be an officer. So a, in, a lieutenant or above in the, in the Air Force and Army and Marines, um, you have to first, you have to have a bachelor's degree to do that. And mm-hmm. so some people that are officers will either go to the academies like the Air Force Academy or West Point, and then they come out with a bachelor's degree and their commission. Or you do like what I was doing and what Margo did, which is ROTC, where you, you go to college. And then like part for me, it was just like part of my time. Like there was like we had one day a week that was like ROTC day where we were mm-hmm. in uniform all day. And then the rest of the time, you were just a regular college student with some classes and PT and stuff like that. Right. And then and then you can do that on scholarship or not. And if you're in and then once you're if you're on scholarship, then you owe them at least eight years or at least four years when you get out. Mm hmm. So that's that's the route that you took. Now, once you once you got in and got commissioned, did you meet your husband in the Air Force? I did. Mm-hmm. So were you? So obviously, you guys were were based together. Were, now, once you got once you're married and you're both active duty, does the Air Force did they work with you when you got moved around, or did you not get moved around much so that you guys stayed in the same place? Oh, we moved every two years. <laughs> okay, so it was, a, it was a lot of moving. So so we got pretty lucky. So I always thought like, oh yeah, this is what the military does. Turns out that's not the case. We were just really blessed. So uh-huh. as soon as we got married, of course, we let the, the military know. And so we they kept us together the whole time because, you know, we were pretty young. We were young captains. So you're a captain basically for like ever and a day. Right. You know, you're like a lieutenant for two years and a lieutenant for two years. And then captain is like 25 years. And then you <laughs> and then you move up. The right, right. So so when we were young captains, they can put us just about anywhere because our career fields were so. Um, there's a there's one of us at each base, right? He's public affairs and I was a JAG. So I was a uh-huh. military lawyer. So there's they're everywhere. So they were able to keep us together for a few assi- for all the assignments we were together. Um, but the the higher in rank we got, it, it we knew right away we were like, I don't know they're gonna be able to keep us together very much mm-hmm. longer. And so that was kind of one of my decision makers for me. And it, also COVID, I have a feeling that if COVID hadn't happened, it would have been much easier for me to stay on active duty. But no kidding. I mean, we were two active duty officers with two little girls at home during COVID. And so we're working from home, just splitting our time. And it was just it was just a complete nightmare. It was just really overwhelming. And so then we found out we were pregnant with another one. And then, you know, one of my daughters had COVID and it it was just a lot of going back and forth. And I was like, yeah, I don't think we can do this. Um, So I don't know if they would have been able to keep us together for the full 20 year career. Um, but there's people I know who basically, I I knew someone at my old assignment, um, he and his wife were active duty and they were like lieutenant colonels or colonels. And mm-hmm. at his 17 year mark, they wanted to, de- to split them up. And he decided to leave the military at 17 years. Um, he went reserve, so he didn't completely uh-huh. abandon the whole, the, abandon the ship, but he decided to get out. Cause he was just like, I, I just don't want to do this. I, he might've been on his second wife or something like that. Yeah. Um, but you know how it is. Yeah, and so he did that just so in the military usually it's twenty years and out, and you get a full pension. So right. he, just a few years away, and yep. he he left because of that. Did he either left. of he you guys, did either of you guys ever make major, or were you, did you leave as a captain? Oh no, I, I was a major when I got out. I was actually supposed to meet my lieutenant colonel board three months before I got out. Oh, so you got out early. And what's your husband rank? He's lieutenant colonel. He's a lieutenant colonel. Mm-hmm. Nice. And so he plans on staying for the full twenty. Oh, he better. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> we're hoping on him. We're praying on him. No, yes, he uh, he he plans on staying for twenty. Well, well, I mean, you could you could you've got now the uh, the credentials to bring in the big money now that you're in the court. Now, are you doing any kind of law now that you're out, or are you just are you, are you working from home with the kids? I'm just basically so I I am in the I'm going reserve. I haven't started anything yet because, like I said, I just had the baby a couple months mm-hmm. ago. It's been an absolute like being a veteran is. I never realized this, but people always talk about it. But it's like a completely different mindset. You're just like trying to get your your bearing. You're like, what is this civilian world? You know what I mean? And right. so I think right now I'm not doing anything related to the law per se. I'm just doing my podcast and I'm I'm momming it at home, right? My two older ones are at school and then I'm I got my little one. And my husband keeps telling me like, you need to put the little one in daycare and I just don't want to. I'm just like, I just want to keep her because she's our last one and I just want to uh-huh. snuggle her and I'm going to try and do that as, as long as possible. But like I said today, like I was like rushing to try and get here. And I was like, right. I got to make sure she's napping during this so that we can, you know, speak freely without a crying baby in the background. So so we'll see what what I plan on doing um, in the future. But right now, it's really I just want to focus on the podcast and focus on the family. Nice. So what, what now you were you were a JAG, a judge advocate general, a military lawyer. Did you do I, I don't know, like in the military, or is there a split between people that do like you know, different types civil of law, law or is criminal or civil or which which did you do? Or is, was there a split and you just did it all? Yeah, you're basically um, uh, a jack of all trades when you're a jack, at least in the Air Force. And so uh-huh. I kind of did a little bit of everything. I did civil law. I did legal assistance. I did criminal law. At some point, I was a, a special victims counsel, so represented uh-huh. victims of sex assault and court martials. And then, you know, the more senior you get, I'm sure you, I'm sure you know this, even though you, you didn't come on active duty, but the more senior you get, the more you're basically just leadership. You're, you're just management. And right. so we were kind of far removed from like the real, like in the weeds type of law. Yeah, like like a few good men, the big trial. Did you, did you right. have any big trials like that? No, I never, I never had uh, the luxury of having a big trial like that. But I can imagine that it would be extremely overwhelming. I knew, I know many a Jags who were tr- like tr- uh, circuit counsel, so they basically uh-huh. are like the more senior counsel, and they go to each base and they try the cases. Um, and there, I, I think I looked up the statistics and they were away from home about 268 days a year on average. So oh, wow. it was just really difficult for them to have like a strong family home with them always being away. And that just seems really stressful because you're just basically doing big case after big case after big case. Right. Was there even a division where like you would represent where you were like for the defense or for the prosecution or was it just every case was different which side you were on? Oh, no, no, no. You have the the legal office, which is the prosecution office, usually. Okay. Um, and then you have the defense counsel. So so back in the day, they used to all be under one umbrella. Uh, but uh-huh. people realize, like, you're getting, you're a defense counsel, but you're being raided by the person who's on the prosecution. So they uh-huh. split it up. And so now the defense has their, they're like under their own office, own umbrella. They're not, you know, they're not raided by anybody who's on the prosecution side. So they have their own chain of command. And you were on the defense side? I was never on the defense side. I was always on the prosecution side. And then at okay. some point, I was a special victims counsel. So I had my own leadership in that realm. Gotcha. So you just got out this year and you've just had a baby, uh, did you say three months ago? Yes. Yeah. So so, so a lot of, lot of life changes uh, in, mm-hmm. in the midst of all that or prior to that, because you started the podcast, <laughs> what, back in 2019? I did, yes, in November of 2019. So while you were still active duty. 
how did that come about? What made you decide to do a, a true crime podcast? So I've always been like a true crime aficionado. So uh-huh. <laughs> um, I think I started, I, I've always loved podcasts and, you know, true crime documentaries. As I was watching them, I realized that, you know, there was always a big mix of cases, right? There's, you know, the OJ Simpsons and all the other ones. And then, and then always thrown in there, kind of like dug in, there was a military case about mm-hmm. an active duty victim or an active duty uh, perpetrator. And I was always so intrigued by these. And I was like, why are those stories always kind of like, just kind of thrown in like, here's a bonus episode. You know what I mean? Like it, right, it was right. almost like no one really cared. Like oh, people only cared about these other more infamous cases. And it occurred to me, I was like, well, maybe if I'm as interested in those as maybe some other people, people might actually listen to a podcast specifically about this. Now, when I was at, when I was at Ramstein, there was a case that happened when I was there. And it doesn't, no, people don't really talk about it that much. And it's, uh, I kind of call it like the weekend at Bernie's case because it's completely bizarre. And you're just like, this is not real life. Like, this is like what you would see in a movie. And I, I was like, I want to do cases like that. And so then I just kind of, I had the idea in my head because my podcast time when I listen to them is when I work out. Right. And so I had this idea in my head. And so it was after I had my second child, I kind of joked around with my husband. I was like, I should start a true crime podcast about the military. And he kind of looked at me. He was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I'll call it military murder. And he was like, okay, sure, whatever. So he, I kind of kept saying it every now and again. And he was like, just start it. You know, like you keep talking mm-hmm. about wanting to start the podcast. And so then once he actually said that, I was kind of like, no, you're so silly. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so... I kind of just put it in my back pocket and it was summer of 2019. And my husband was like, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, I don't care, nothing, whatever. And he was like, I'm going to get you a a microphone so you can do your podcast you're always talking about. And so, you know, it was literally a joke. And Mm -hmm. he was like, no, I'm dead serious. Like, just do it. Just try it, whatever. And I decided I was like, okay, cool. Let me let me research and see if there's even because I think the big question that he had in his mind was, is there even enough cases that would that your podcast wouldn't be out of content after like a year? And so I was like, let me let me put a list together. I maybe spent like 30 minutes just on Google trying to find cases. I knew some cases of my own and some cases that I had heard about. And then I was like, oh my God, all these serial killers had these background. They were all veterans. And I'm just like right. putting a list together. And I'm like, this is freaking bizarre. And after I had a list that had like 50 names on it, I told my husband, I was like, well, at least I have content for a year. And so here I am almost two years in and I have a list of like 500 cases just from after I started the podcast, my listeners send in their requests. Like Mm -hmm. they'll say, hey, when I was at this base, this one case happened and this happened and that happened. I'm like, holy hell. And so that's kind of how Military Murder was born. It was just, you know, kind of an idea of me wanting to put all these other case, put these cases together and then bring in lesser known cases and just kind of talk about that. And then, you know, from there, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure you're aware, but in 2020, military murder just like was all over the news, not my podcast, um, right. but the actual like the murder of Vanessa Guillen and the disappearance of all these soldiers down at Fort Hood. And so it just became like a thing where I was like, I was thinking I was going to be talking about cases from the past, and then it kind of just evolved into even working current cases, missing persons, and that type of stuff. 
That's awesome. Yeah, they, I, I guess I didn't really notice, but now that you mention it, yeah, there was a lot of military crime going on in the news mm-hmm. over the over the last year during COVID. I mean, there's a lot of. I think there was a lot of um, unforeseen effects from the pandemic. With you know, the, you know, I, I have seen a lot of statistics on domestic violence and alcoholism and suicide rates and all that stuff. So you said you were. Um, you you were really into true crime and and you, I know you say on the on the podcast that you were you watch Discovery ID all the time. Did you ever watch any scripted things? Like did you ever watch NCIS? It seems like it would be right up your alley. I I really have not. I know is that terrible to say that I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it, and I haven't really ever watched JAG. Neither one. No. I I say that like completely abhorrent. That I can't believe you've done that. I know when your face is I, like shame on you, girl. <laughs> As a guy who has spent 16 years as a as a firefighter and and can't stand watching any people are always asking me all the different uh, Chicago Fire and all those I'm like I don't know they're they're just fake I can't stand I can't stand it so we'll just say that those shows are too fake and that they would upset you if you watch them. I really am more of just like a true like I just I just am interested in uh I'm just interested in in true crime and and really what makes people tick. Well, and you you cover some fascinating cases, and and speaking of like just like really getting into somebody's psychology, the case that uh, I guess we we can start talk, get into it now. The the case we're going to talk about today is uh, the Sickles Army Airfield public decapitation, right? Which was uh, an intriguing title. I went back and listened to your episode on it and read up on it a little bit. And what an insane case! Like just just out of this world. Can you kind of give everybody the the basic beats of that case? Yeah. So basically, and and so so basically, we have a, a soldier, a young soldier named Stephen Shap, and he just like all most young enlisted soldiers, airmen, Marines, sailors, they get married right before they join the military. Right? They're like, oh, we're gonna lose our high school sweetheart, so let's just quick mm-hmm. get married. So that's what he does. He di- he he marries his uh, his sweetheart named Diane. I think they met after college. It's been that was my very first episode. So I listened to the episode this morning and I was just like, oh, my gosh. And then it shocked me again. I was like, oh, my God, I still can't believe that's real. So um, they end up their first assignment is in Sickles uh, Air Base, Germany, which is in Fulda, Germany. And they're there. And as soon as he gets there, what happens to most military people is the the person who's in the military gets an assignment for a couple months or a few weeks in another state, another country or whatever. So Stephen ends up leaving and Diane stays behind. Now, I, I missed this most important part. So D- Diane and him are trying to start a family. She goes through three miscarriages and it's really, really hard on her. He ends up, I think he's 23 years old and he ends up getting a vasectomy because he's like, I'm sick and tired of seeing how hurt she is, even though mm-hmm. his life dream has been to have a big family. So he gets a vasectomy basically for her. Like, I don't want her to hurt anymore, whatever. So he ends up going on a TDY back to the States and she stays behind. And when he comes back, he starts to notice that she's something's different. He's like, oh, this is crazy. Um, He starts snooping around. He kind of has a feeling she's messing around with somebody and whatever. He agrees to give her a divorce, even though he really doesn't want to. And one day she ends up in the hospital and he goes to visit her at the hospital. Like, oh, my God, are you okay, sweetie? What's going on? And she looks like really sick. And he, she basically tells him she, she's pregnant, and he's like, "Wait, what? How? And how he is had that a vasectomy, <laughs> right? He's like, wait a minute, this is not adding up.' So he starts to dig, like, "Hey, who's 
who's your baby daddy, girl? And she's like, I'm not going to tell you. She just really doesn't want to tell him anything. So eventually he gets he gets the the man's rank out of her. So basically he's like, oh, my God, is it an officer? Is it another um, NCO? And she's like, no. He's like, oh, it's a specialist. And she finally just says, yes, she doesn't give a name. She doesn't give anything. Mm. But he doesn't need a name because he already knows there's not too many specialists that they hang out with. It's actually his best freaking friend. And that morning when that morning when she was in the hospital, he had just dropped off his best friend back at the at the base. So so Stephen basically says, all right, cool. Bye. I'm leaving because I can't take that. You have done this to me. And unbeknownst to Diane that's in the hospital, he goes to look for him. And when he finds him, he commits the most gruesome crime on a military installation that I have ever heard of someone doing with their own hands. Right. We've heard of, you know, um, you know, mass shootings and all that. But Mm -hmm. this is like something that this guy did with his own hands. So he finds him at a phone booth and basically attacks him with some sort of knife. And everyone's outside watching, right? And so, you know, you kind of you kind of have seen when there's like a street fight and there's like two guys and just or a bar fight, right? There's right. just two people just fighting and just like, oh, okay, it's just a fight between some dudes. It's not a big deal. Well, in this case, everyone just kind of starts forming like this circle around them. And then Steven takes the other guy down with his knife. And people are thinking he's punching him when in fact he actually has a knife and he's stabbing him. When the when Gregory falls to the ground. Stephen basically starts making what people describe as chopping, like chopping motions or whatever. And Mm. then he starts to kick him in the head. And what he ends up doing is actually he was basically cutting his neck and he actually decapitated the guy as everyone was watching. And not only is that kind of gruesome, but then Stephen takes some actions which shows just how maybe crazy he was in that moment because he like picks up the head like a football and then he just leaves with it. He like puts the football, he puts the head in a bag and just takes it in the car. And so no one knows where he's going until he shows up at the hospital where his wife is and he marches into the hospital and she sees him, right? Because he's covered in blood and everyone sees that he's covered in blood. And he basically opens the bag and he places the head right next to her. And she is literally terrified thinking, oh, my God, what did he do? So, you know, that's a long story short. You have to listen to the whole episode. But that's basically the gist of it. That's crazy. When you were when you were telling the story on the podcast, I was like, "Where? how is this happening on a base in front of witness? Like, where are the SPs, the, 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 the police officers? Is there any in the fact that he said that? I mean, and. This is gruesome, but you know, the, with the removal of the head, it wasn't even like he just decapitated. He like basically, from the way I understood it, cut it, cut the cut Gregory's head down to the spine, and mm-hmm. then got up and kicked yes. it to to separate the spine to get the head the rest of the way off. With everyone watching him, then he walks right by. He's like nobody stopped him, nobody said anything. Like the fact that he takes the severed head of the man he just killed in his car all the way to the hospital and no like with without any problems is is mm-hmm. is baffling it's it's crazy to me how that could happen exactly and i think so that was the case of course that was my episode 1 right so that was a mm-hmm. case that that kind of made me realize there's so much more to like the headline 
um, mm-hmm. that you see because I had heard it was kind of like um, water cooler chat at one at my job. And so I, I used to do um, the parole board when I was back up in D.C. And so we were all we would all just sit around and talk about some crazy cases. Right. Mm-hmm. And so no kidding. Someone actually starts to talk about, oh, yeah, there was a one time that the guy did did the thing where he brought the head to the and I was like, what? It's like, you are so full of crap. Like, stop right right there because you're just crazy. He's like, no, just look it up. And so I went home that night and I started digging into the case. And Stars and Stripes was the the news source that just did a really excellent job covering the case. And as I'm going through the newspapers day in and day out, I just can't believe it. And so it's not for me, it wasn't just the act of the murder, right? It was more what led to it, you know? Because Mm -hmm. you always hear about, you know, in the military, spouses cheating on other spouses and all this other jazz and exchanging wives. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this all happened because she cheated on him and because he was so hurt. And so, you know what I mean? So it was about the human emotion and Mm -hmm. just all of it. I don't know. But, yeah, I can't believe it happened in front of all those people. Well, I can't imagine the trauma that that Diana's had for like the rest of her life after that. He goes into the the hospital and sets the severed head of mm-hmm. of the man she's having an affair with on the night's end calmly and just sits there. And it, and again, and again, the way the way it sounded like the story, it sounds like there's this huge delay from the time he walks in with the severed head, mm-hmm. sits down, has the doctors stay in the room with him, and sits there chatting with them for a while before the police finally come. And then he pleads not guilty, which is which is fascinating. In and of itself, he what was his defense that he 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 pled not guilty? He didn't say he didn't do it, but he said that it wasn't a premeditated passion. murder. It was heat of yeah. passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, heat of passion. So like a voluntary manslaughter instead of premeditated murder. After he got a knife, went out, hunted this guy down, kills him, removes his head, takes his head to the hospital, and was like, I didn't plan that. Right. Even though he was telling all the doctors and nurses that were stuck in the room with him about how he planned it. Right. Right. So that case is really, um, after I put that case out, I had a lot of people contact me and no kidding tell me I thought that case was an urban legend. I heard about it when I was at boot camp. I heard about it when I deployed. I heard about it here. I heard about it here. And people actually think that that case is an urban legend and it, it in fact is not. So what, what I, what I like about that case is it also hits upon. So like you said, he pled not guilty. Um, but not only was he sentenced by the members or the jury, the members is what we call it in the military, but mm-hmm. the jury, not only was he sentenced to life in prison, but the life in prison sentence was basically reduced due to the fact that before this, he was a good, he was a good soldier. And that's only something you would see in the military. <laughs> um, we, we don't, you know, I think in 13 or 14, um, they actually removed that. Um, for 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 really serious crimes where a commander who knows nothing about the law can actually reduce someone's sentence that drastically. So how how drastically was it reduced? All I heard was that he had the life sentence. He had the life sentence, and then they um they reduced it to just thirty years, and then I think he only served twenty. So he's out now. He's out. He's listening to this podcast right now. Hey, wow. That, yeah. Oh. Yeah, that that's great, and that was just based on his prior service record. That, that yeah, he was and the thi- yeah, basically they just put on a good a good soldier defense, basically saying he was such a stellar soldier, he's never had any other issues, yada yada yada. And I'm sure that the you know the general heard all the information, and maybe mm-hmm. he felt some sort of way. And the weird thing was that I, I, I'm I'm not sure if you heard on the episode, but 
Gregory Glover basically was supposed to be um, getting more rank. And usually when someone passes away on active duty, if they pass away before they put on the rank, they will just posthumously promote them. In Mm -hmm. this case, they did not posthumously promote the deceased because of his misconduct by having an affair with the Mm -hmm. other guy's wife. But then you got the murderer whose sentence was reduced to 30 years because he was a good soldier. So it's just... It's so weird. There's so many weird rules in the military. Like, I, I know people that have been discharged, you know, and the other, you know, the things that they look on that are so badly. Like, I, I know a guy who was discharged, didn't get a dishonorable discharge. I think he got a general discharge, but it was because he was writing bad checks. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was, it was considered conduct unbecoming of, uh, uh, not an officer, but it was conduct unbecoming. Mm-hmm. And so he was dis- discharged because of it, because With of that. General. Mis- yeah, because of that misconduct. So, yeah, it's it's God, what a weird weird system. Do you think it's getting better? The because you know we also we we've had uh, I've had other guests on that have talked about a couple of military cases, um, and we talked a lot about like sexual assault of women within the military. Uh, do you, do you, do you see that improving over time, or or what's your perspective on on everything from the way the judicial system works to the you know like long standing issues like like sexual assault that that tends to be you know it's 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 common in the military yeah i don't know i guess my i guess i kind of have a divided view i think it it is getting better it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that people are committing less crimes it just means that now victims have a way or survivors have a way to kind of come forward um, now they have special victims counsel, like what I was, where mm-hmm. they actually have an attorney that is assigned to just them. So okay. my loyalty lies with the survivor versus lying with anybody else, if that makes sense. So at least now I feel like survivors have someone to talk to who can kind of explain the legal process to them and kind of point them in the right direction if they, you know, they choose to go forward or if they don't. Now, the problem if we're talking specifically about sex assault, the problem with sex assault cases, and I'm sure that you've seen this before, is that it's so hard to prove, right? Mm-hmm. You have date right. rape and you have things like that um, where it's just very difficult to prove. And so if a survivor wants to go forward, you know, as, a, as an attorney myself, I have to tell them, listen, okay, we're going to go forward and it's literally going to be, you're going to be the you're going to be the one telling the jury what happened. And they're, then you're going to have him or her, the, the perpetrator, saying, oh, they didn't do it if they decide to take the stand or whatever. So it's going to basically be a coin flip potentially when they go to court. And so that's something that victims kind of have to decide. Is that something that they want to do? And then you basically just open your life, your life up to scrutiny, right? Because then they're looking at your social media and they're looking at all that. And so that's something that I kind of worked with victims to to do. And the good thing is survivors just want to be heard, you know, right. um, whether there's a conviction or not, they just want to freaking be heard. And what I really, w- what I like about survivors being able to come forward is that what I've noticed, at least in some of the cases that I've worked and I've seen other people work, is that when one survivor comes forward, there's always another survivor back there in that person's life that they come right. forward. And then the more survivors you have about against the same perpetrator, you're like, okay, 
Now we have something that we could potentially go on. And so whether it's changing or not, I think that there have been improvements. I don't think it's 100% yet. And I don't think, I, I, I don't really know what, what the answer is to fix it. Well, the, I, I think a big step is that um, the special victims council, like, like you were, I mean, cause, because it, we, we all know that's such a huge problem. And, and, and it's exactly what you just said. There's always, when someone finally comes forward, you find out, you know, there were all these other victims that, that, you know, it's the most underreported crime out of, mm-hmm. out of any is, is sexual assault. And for all the reasons that you just laid out. So I think a good thing is the fact that, you know, someone, they, they have someone on, in their corner on their side, uh, the survivors to help guide them through that. I think that, I think that's huge. And then, you know, the, the big thing that was, is I've, you know, d- discussed before on, on the show and other episodes that, that there's got to be a change in the good old boys club. There's got to be, you know, accountability coming down from the top for that. 100%. And, 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 and hopefully all of that's getting better. But, but this is super, your podcast is super interesting. Can you give the, can you give the listeners a little taste of what, what are some cases that, are there any that they may have, they may be familiar with that they can, they can check out on military murder? So uh, right before, um, actually it was after I had my daughter, I, I, I did a serial killer series where mm-hmm. I, I had always been like, I'm not going to do serial killers because they're so overdone. Um, but it, it, people apparently you know, they're obsessed with serial killers. So I did right. a, a series, like I think six or seven episodes, where I just focused on serial killers. So I did the Gainesville, the Gainesville Ripper, which he was a, he was a veteran. I did BTK. Mm-hmm. And then I did Randy Kraft. So those are some. The Eastburn Family Murders, um, that was my episode three, I believe. And that's a big one, um, which is kind of kind of up your alley. It was this one case where um, this soldier allegedly murdered, well, in the beginning of the story, he allegedly murdered um, a, a, an Air Force officer's wife and the two kids. Have you heard of this case? Uh, it, it rings a bell. I don't know the details of it. So he 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 allegedly murdered them, and then he went. They took him to court. The state of North Carolina took him to trial for first degree murder on three counts, and he was convicted and sentenced to death. His sentence, his uh, his tri- his case was overturned due to some prosecutors just doing some crazy stuff. So they retry. So he's on death row, and then he's back off. Uh, his conviction was overturned. They prosecute him again, um, and he is acquitted. So he comes back to the the army and he ends up doing a full career in the army, 20 years. They even do a book called The Innocent Victim. They do a a documentary and he's just kind of like, oh my God, like, it's just so terrible to be wrongfully convicted. And then I had to fight to get out there, yada, yada, yada. Well, guess what? DNA improves with time. And in 2005, the investigator, they have a triple murder that's unsolved. Mm -hmm. So they go in, they get the DNA. When they test it, because the the wife had been uh, raped. So when they come back, they test the DNA. And whose DNA is it? The guy who had been acquitted. So the army now has a retiree that is potentially a triple murderer. And they do they do something that's unprecedented. They bring him back um, from retirement and they prosecute him. And he is one of four military people on military death row. That's crazy. So the double jeopardy rule, then I take it doesn't apply when you're uh, tried in civilian court and then you can later be tried in military court. He was tried in state court and then he was prosecuted in the federal court. So, right. There's no double jeopardy there. Wow. So it's it's bizarre. And that case that was in 2010 that he was convicted. So he's been on death row since 2010. 
and they just in 2019 uh his his case was heard before the the armed forces court of criminal appeals and then they they just came out with well not just about a year ago 2020 they just denied his most recent appeal so it's a completely bizarre bizarre case where you're because you know you have him on this documentary basically saying like shame on you shame on you for saying that i did it and then his dna ties him to it and it's just you know there's i don't know it's documentary didn't age well right right so that's (laughs) a that's episode three if anyone's interested in that um but i of course i've covered vanessa guillen's uh case extensively i did when she first was just missing, then I did a, another recap from when they found, from when they discovered her remains, um, and then I did another case um, more recently. I think in early 2021 on her case. So, so I've done tons of coverage on her case, tons of coverage on Fort Hood cases. I mean, there's just there's just a little bit of everything for for any listener that is either acquainted with the military or not, because it's really just true crime cases that happen to be about military folks. Right. Well, everything I've listened to so far has been fascinating. Her name is Margo, and the podcast is called Military Murder. Check it out. There's tons of episodes to choose from, some super interesting cases. You're going to love it. It'll be your next big true crime binge. And Margo, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.